Okay, guys. <clears throat> um, so let me introduce um, the first day of the seven days of Shekinah. Uh, today is day one, and then we'll meet on Monday, Tuesday, uh, then Thursday, Friday, then Sunday, Monday. And uh, I'll send you the timings via email. So um, th this is one of those messages that defines sometimes uh, an era or the um, trajectory of a church. And whenever the church is on a trajectory, the earth is affected. So this is one of those messages. So let me just pray because I don't have the ability to convey it. Jesus, I don't know if I've um, ever spoken a teaching that is more, more far-reaching than this one. I don't know if, um, not I don't know, I, it's a way of speaking. I know that I haven't taught anything that will have the ripple effect that this teaching will have. And I'm absolutely incapable of doing it because... Um, I cannot make it happen with oratory skills, and so I seek refuge in First Corinthians 2 and say that, Father, I come before you and before people that are hearing. I will hear this in the future, um, not with persuasive words, not with fancy words or oratorial skills or any kind of ability that I possess, but I come and ask, O oh God, for a demonstration of power by the work of the Holy Spirit through us. Through us. I don't even say through me. Through us because what you want to say to us cannot be done through any one man, two men, three men. Through us. And then I also pray, Father, that because it is such a critical message that you want to speak to the earth. And really, this is not... Um, restricted or is not meant just for Acts 29. Acts 29 is a player in this uh, drama. But since Spirit of God, others have to hear with ears that can hear, I just ask Holy Spirit, would you give me ears to hear? Would you give me a mind to understand? Would you give me, as Jillian was praying, a heart that ignites with passion for what you're saying? Would you give us, in this church that we call Acts 29, ears to hear, a heart that is willing and ignited, and a mind that comprehends, and feet that then follow? Would you give us the ability to persevere through this? And then would you cause the same thing that you do in me and do in the church to begin to just multiply and gain such um, potency as every time someone hears it? All this can't be done humanly, oh God. There is no such person that can do it. It can only be done by your spirit. And so I just ask Holy Spirit for these things. This is a sheer work of God. And it's colossal. I pray against distractions. I pray against hesitation. I pray against dullness of hearing and coldness of heart. I pray against the lie that I can handle another 10 minutes or 20 minutes and then I take, need to take a break. I pray against callousness or um, 
um, a very casual ad attitude. I come against lukewarmness. And I pray these in my heart first. I don't for a moment take for granted that just because I wrote these notes that I understand it. We come humbly, Abba. We thank you for the privilege of hearing your voice through your word, through your word, eh, Father? Through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, so continuing from last week, um, we were talking about the glory of God. And we said that in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord was often referred to as Kabod Adonai, Kabod Adonai. We said it was called Kabod Adonai in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, it was called Doxa Kurios, Kurion, or Kurios. And both mean Lord of Glory. And then we said, there's a word that is often used to talk about uh, the glory of God, which surprisingly is not found in the Bible, but has become normal usage. And that word is Shekinah, which by the way is not in the Bible. It's not a word used in the Bible. And Shekinah comes from two words which are found in Deuteronomy 25, verse 8 and 9. Uh, one is Shachan, and the other one is Mishkan. We talked about this last week. And basically, Shekinah simply means the one who dwells. The one who dwells. That's what Shekinah means. The one who dwells. The one who dwells. Shekan means I will dwell. Mishkan is tabernacle. And so out of that comes a word that is not found in the Bible, but that well describes what God wants to do. And I, I don't know if you can see the picture on the, um, I don't know if you can see the picture on the um, wall, but um, I found a rendition of the pillar of cloud and fire done by somebody. And I, I was thinking to myself, man, it must be something else, say, eh, to wake up every day for 40 days and 40 years and see this marvelous pillar of cloud and fire blazing sometimes, moving, tenting. A what it must have been for people to know that Yahweh was in their midst. And somehow to be able to translate that to a point where I begin to really think that Yahweh is in me and in our midst and therefore I don't have to worry about the things of the world. They're all taken care of. Provision, presence is there. It frees me to run after the things of God. Just a thought on the side. The other thing we said last week is that the reason the glory of God isn't experienced the way it is supposed to be experienced is because as a church, we have a tendency to accommodate God's glory. And God's glory cannot be accommodated. It cannot be accommodated. God's glory should not be accommodated. It cannot be accommodated. There's only one response to God's glory. You have to be foolish and surrender. You cannot accommodate God's glory. You can't accommodate God's glory. You can only be foolish and surrender to it. 
we talked about that and that's something that's really impacted me over the last one week that I refuse anymore to give God uh, a corner or two corners or three corners of a room for his glory we do not accommodate his glory to accommodate is to contain within limits instead we we, we become foolish and surrender to it you cannot surrender to the glory of God with any of your own wisdom it doesn't work so much so that God said in 1 Corinthians 2 that listen of uh, 1 Corinthians 1 I think he says I, I use the f- I use my foolishness to confound the wisdom of men so don't come to me with your wisdom to try and figure this out so you cannot accommodate his glory you can only be foolish and surrender and if you do if you are foolish and you surrender then you begin to engage you begin to participate and you begin to encounter his glory and all three words are very deliberate they're not the same you begin to engage you begin to participate and you begin to encounter or engage and you begin to encounter you begin to engage you begin to participate I think that's the right order you begin to encounter as in you meet it you begin to engage as in you get acquainted with it and then you begin to participate as in now you begin to flow in it and that's when Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 comes to pass when a church begins to when a people begin to encounter engage and participate in the glory of God because they refuse to accommodate it but foolishly surrender to it then a people begin to see Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 coming to pass either amongst them and then through them and what does Habakkuk 2 14 says for as the waters fill the seas the earth fills up with an awareness of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas as the waters as the waters cover the seas so the earth fills with an awareness and I love that way of saying it an awareness of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas so the earth is filled earth begins to fill with the awareness of the glory of the Lord the awareness of the glory of the Lord where people begin to become aware of the splendor the magnificence the power the weight the laughter the joy <laughs> the presence of God through a people amongst whom he dwells just like the nations in the desert viewed this pillar of cloud and fire that would roam in the night and the day and would hover over Israel and foolish was the king that ever dared to touch the people of God every so often and this is where we begin to get into the first bite of what God wants to do on earth every so often this awareness of the glory of God which 
seems withdrawn when you look around the world. You don't see much of it. You hear about it. You see, hear prayers about it. But every so often, this awareness of the glory of God, which seems withdrawn, comes in like a tsunami across the earth. Every so often. And it's happened many times on the earth. Every so often, this, this, this awareness of the glory of God that seems withdrawn suddenly comes in like a tsunami across the earth. And we talked about this last week when we called it His disruptive glory. And just when you think, you, you can talk about it, you can pray about it, and you don't see it, and it seems kind of withdrawn, or it seems absent, out of God's sovereign um, will, it suddenly comes in like a tsunami and it's his disruptive glory. And what does it do? It dismantles and then rebuilds, dismantles and then rebuilds David's tent or David's tabernacle. From Acts chapter 15, verse 16 and 17. It always begins in the house of God. As in, it begins first amongst the people of God. Where people who used to talk about it suddenly become aware that something is coming upon them, crashing like a tsunami. It's almost like something that's withdrawn, but you can see it beginning to come. And you don't know how to respond to it. And I would suggest to you again, the, the, the mistake we make is we try to accommodate it again by building a bigger room. No, 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 no. You can only be foolish and surrender to it. And it begins to wash over with big waves only it doesn't destroy you and yet it completely destroys you because it's a consuming fire it dismantles you and it rebuilds the tabernacle david's tabernacle in um, peter stood up in acts chapter 15 verse 16 and 17 and he says and in those days i will rebuild the tabernacle of david here's the thing the rebuilding may start with the people of god but look at the intent the intent is so that the ends of the earth may seek him and the gentiles may turn to him that is the reason why. That is the beauty of the glory of God. His people experience it so that the ends of the earth may seek him and the Gentiles may know him. Acts chapter 15 verse 16 to 17. In other words, there's a beautiful word for this. I'm going to use red, which you can't see, but I hope this time you'll see it. The word for all that I have described is the seven letter word that sometimes has been bandied around so often that we lose its sense but it is this idea of revival where god in his sovereign time and sovereign will and intent decides that i am going to come in with an awareness of my glory sweeping through a people into different parts of the world or different regions and i'm going to revive like i haven't done before for a while this is what we are looking at and this is just the intro have we got seven days of this, guys? I'm not looking forward to it because I don't know what to look forward to. I'm just looking. So let's talk about what a revival is so that we get this right in the beginning. The, the, the times that we will meet in the future over the next five or six days, um, my intent is that we meet for 45 minutes. But if we end up being here till 3 a.m., so be it. Because I refuse to accommodate what God is going to do. But I'm starting with the intent of 45 minutes. But we'll talk about that a little later.
I hope you're clapping at home. I hope you're clapping in this room. Someone is. So why, why does God send uh, these odd timed revivals? Because it's not a thing that is common. Why does he sometimes send these times? Or why is he planning to do that through this ragtag motley crew? One of the reasons he sends revival is because his intent is to avert disaster that awaits in the future. So that's one of the reasons. He knows that if he can revive now a people group in perhaps Timbuktu or Mongolia or India or uh, Minnesota can avoid or avert disaster, avert spiritual disaster. Physical disasters only take life, guys, physical life. Spiritual disasters end you for eternity. And one of the reasons God begins to decide that I'm going to send a particular form of revival, and it's very targeted often, even though it spills over, it's often very targeted because God has intentional, specific purposes. One is to avert spiritual disaster that he sees coming. Two, it is to create momentum because he sees that passion is growing in a people and now he knows that he can create momentum. He wants to course correct, as in help the ship steer back into the um, navigational plan that he had for the kingdom. And then the other thing he does through every revival is he regenerates reformers for the next generation. As in, he gives birth to reformers that can help the generation after you. In every revival, this has happened. We don't even hear about them. Reformers are not guys like Martin Luther and famous people like that. There are many of them. But then there are hundreds and hundreds of small-time reformers you'll never hear of that begin to change people. They'll never write a book. They'll never be heard of. But this is another reason why God sends revivals. Because he notices that there is a passion that is growing and he can use that passion and create momentum by pouring fuel like you have never seen before. And that the ship that is beginning to veer off because of religious sophistry or some call it religious technology where you know how to preach, you know how to cater to groups, you know what music to put on, you know how much smoke to fill the audience with. Uh, religious sophistry that has caused the church to begin to veer off false doctrines or half distorted doctrines that causes the church to veer off. Revival has the ability to bring course correction so that in a matter of years the ship is back on course. And thirdly, and I love this, it always generates reformers. Thirdly, revival is a quickening divine visitation. A quickening divine visitation. As in, it is something that is, that quickens, that just, it's like, it's like Red Bull. It just gives you such a shot of quickening divine energy that uh, 
It rescues people from falling into the dullness of worldly wisdom and religion. It rescues people. Just when you're beginning to slumber off because you can't handle the physics anymore or the math anymore and you're just on the verge of dozing, you get this shot of Red Bull that changes everything. Where once, alert, once again you're alert to what... That is literally how it is. A quickening divine visitation. I've seen this happen and you've seen this happen in our lives so often where everything seems dull and then God does just this one thing that will not mean anything to anybody else but it just jump starts you. It gets your engine going when it was absolutely cold and dead. How God does that? We don't know. But if he can do it with an individual you think he can't do it with a massive nation. It's the same for him. Four. One of the intents of God when he sends a revival is he's hoping that we can, that people can move from asking where is he to who is he. The problem today in North America or in any other part of the world is not that people don't understand God. They don't even see him. The intent is, hey, People are asking, where is he? They look at the church and they can't see him. They look at you and they can't see him. And the question is, where is he? And this is the ability that God has to move people from the question, where is he, to who is he? Because they actually see him. Now they want to know who he is. Because they are beginning to see him. Glory is visible. When Queen Sheba visited Solomon, her words to Solomon were, I had heard of your fame. I had heard you were brilliant, you were wise, you were wealthy. But it is only after I've come here and seen it that it has taken my breath away. There is a visibility to glory. And I'm not talking about the pillar of cloud and fire, but there is still a visibility to glory. Remember we talked about this last week, that there is dazzling, the dazzling brilliance of God, which can manifest in supernatural signs and wonders. There is the honor and majesty of God and there is the power and authority of God. We talked about these three different aspects of glory last week. Go listen to it, disruptive glory. The fifth reason is revival brings in a new quality of life. A new quality. Revival brings in a new quality of spiritual life, a new quality of spiritual life, a new quality of spiritual life that comes through knowing the greatness, that comes through knowing the greatness and the nearness of a holy God. The greatness and the nearness of a holy God. I love that. The greatness and the nearness. Revival brings into the hearts of a people who experience this awareness of who he is. Both an awareness of the greatness of God and the awareness of his nearness. And that he is a holy God. Something that every revival, every bona fide revival carries is an awe for the holiness of an awesome God. Psalm 110 Verse 3 
puts it this way. Oh God, so not Psalm 110 verse 3, Psalm 119 verse 32 puts it this way. David says, oh God, can you enlarge my heart? This is what happens with revivals. Our hearts are enlarged. Can you enlarge my heart that I may run in your paths? This is what happens. Your heart is enlarged. It can carry, it has a capacity for God that you have not yet plumbed. So I'm going to say this next sentence maybe three, four, five times. Not because you need to hear it, but because I need to declare it on our behalf. Not because you need to hear it five times, but because we need to declare it. So feel free if you want to. So here's what I'm saying. I say to you that today... The Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven. I take that from Zechariah 6.5. I say to you that today, the Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven from this place, across the earth, contending, reviving, and breaking, specifically upon the young. Specifically upon the young. I'm going to write it so that we can repeat it. I was asking God, can you make it more dramatic? And he said, I'm doing this, so can you leave that alone? So I'm going to write it just as I heard it. I say to you today. I say to you today. The Spirit of God... The Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven. The Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven from this place And when I say place, I mean a people in this area right now, as in you, I, even though we're not in the same place. In this place, from this place, across the earth, across the earth, contending, reviving, breaking upon, the young and by young I mean not children but young as in I, I don't want to put an age limit on it but the young as in the generation that uh, is not 50 yet one's below 50 that is all I know I don't know how low the lower limit is but I know that it is, the t- it is the teens, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s that God is desiring to do this. So I'm going to read this a few times again and again. And um, um, yeah. I say to you that today the Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven from this place across the earth, contending, reviving, and breaking upon the young. Young men, young women, 
I say to you today, the Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven from this place across the earth, contending, reviving, and breaking upon the young. One more time. I say to you today that the Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven from this place across the earth, contending, reviving, and breaking upon the young. One more time. I say to you today, the Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven from this place across the earth, contending, reviving, and breaking upon the young. One more time. I say to you today, the Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven from this place across the earth, contending, reviving, and breaking upon the young. One last time, I say to you today that the Spirit of God is releasing the winds of heaven from this place across the earth, contending, reviving, and breaking upon the young. Amen. One of the scriptures that I remember long ago God showing um, was from Isaiah 62. It was, it, it was more the idea of Isaiah 62, and I just want to read it and then read you a couple of other things that people send me. Isaiah 62, reading from the message, verse 1 to 3. And it was this idea, and th this has happened long ago, at the beginning of Acts 29. Maybe Heidi and Chris may remember it, because it happened just prior to us going to Mont Montreal for a, um, for a mission trip of sorts. I, I remember seeing... Uh, torches that God would send from Acts 29. And that was like more than 12 years ago, man. And uh, Isaiah 62, 1 says, Regarding Zion, I can't keep my mouth shut regarding Jerusalem. I'm reading from the message. I can't hold my tongue until her righteousness blazes down like the sun and her salvation flames up like a torch. Foreign countries will see your righteousness and world leaders your glory. You'll get a brand new name straight out from the mouth of God. You'll be a stunning crown in the palm of God's hand, a jeweled gold cup held high in the hand of your God. One more time. Regarding Zion, I can't keep my mouth shut. Regarding Jerusalem, I can't hold my tongue. Until her righteousness blazes down like the sun and her salvation flames up like a torch. Foreign countries will see your righteousness and world leaders your glory. You'll get a brand new name straight from the mouth of God. You'll be a stunning crown in the palm of God's hand. A jeweled gold cup held high in the hand of your God. Amen. Amen. In November, someone in this church sent me this email. It said, years ago I had a dream and vision. Years ago, but she sent it to me on November 26. Years ago, I had a dream and vision. I was looking down on Canada from a great height. I saw a tar torch suddenly appear and swirl from the west to east. And it came back to BC. It hovered over BC. And as I looked down, I saw three flames in the torch. That was November 26th. This morning, someone sent me uh, a, a text not knowing any idea what I was uh, uh, preparing. And I began to weep as I read it. It said... I saw a world map dotted all over with small flames burning. More flames will be ignited. They seem insignificant on their own, but altogether they actually light up the whole world. And this is just the beginning. And as I listen to this man, I just thank God for the assurances he gives you. Because who are we to even think that God would want to start something on the earth? 
But that is the beauty of a revival. God picks some of the most Nazareth-like places so that no one can boast in his presence. So listen to the promise or the prophetic word that we need to grab a hold of, that we need to, you'll have to put it up, the PowerPoint, that we need to grab a hold of because we cannot walk into this without knowing what God is saying. And so I'm going to put it up on the screen. I pray God that some of you will print it out and put up this, these simple words on your mirror or wherever you put stuff so that you can see it. I pray that one or two or three of you will make a banner that we can hang here every time we do a service or hang wherever we go next because I'm not sure that this place will be able to contain it. And so here's what it says, and if I weep, just forgive me, because I don't understand this. I don't understand this. And so here's what it says. So don't be afraid. I am with you. Every time it refers to children, remember the young, eh? So don't be afraid, I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather them from the west. I'll send orders north and south. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Return my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. I want them back, every last one of them who bears my name, every man, woman, and child, whom I created for my glory, yes, personally formed and made each of them. How wonderful and beautiful they will be. The young men will thrive on abundant grain and the young women will flourish on new wine. You will raise up young men and young women, bishops, strong apostolic ministries, strong teachers going out from your company and they will reproduce this anointing across the earth. And then it talks about the young adults that we presently have. Your young adults or young people will freely join you at the break of dawn with all the vigor of youth resplendent in holy armor on the day of your conquest. This is the word that is being released to us. That we may put it on banners, that we may wave it as a banner. That it will start in Jerusalem and then go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That people that are in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s and their 40s will suddenly become aware of not just where is he but who he is and they'll begin to somehow have their hearts affected because of the tsunami-like disruptive glory that God wants to express through us. Uh, he'll do it in his own wonderful, awesome way. And it won't just be something that's limited to this region. This is why I've been saying right from the start, almost like a statement of faith, because I need to believe it too, that we stand at one of the most momentous occasions in this church that will affect history for years on end. When I was singing, the, the, uh, thousand generations today, what, 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 what's that line? Um, be enthroned upon the 
praises of a thousand generations. I wasn't thinking of the ones gone past. I was thinking of the ones going forward. That there'll be thousands of generations in nations, cities, small villages and towns that'll begin to recognize who Christ is and that there'll be praises that come from a thousand generations, not of the past, not that are seated in heaven, but that will come in the future. This is the prophetic word. This is a promise. If you don't have a promise, you don't know what to stand on. This is what God is giving us. Write it on your doorposts. Stick it up on your mirrors. Make banners of it. It'll set the ship back on course. Let me just read it once again. So don't be afraid. Oh my God, we should be afraid. Because we don't know how to do this. So don't be afraid, I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather them from the west. I will send orders north and south. I'll say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Guess who's doing it? He. Return my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. I want them back, every last one who bears my name, every man, woman and child whom I created for my glory. Yes, personally formed and made each one. How wonderful and beautiful they will be. The young men will thrive on abundant grain and the young women will flourish on new wine. I love that. That they will have abundant grain as in substance and new wine as in the spirit. You will raise up young men and young women, bishops, strong apostolic ministries, strong teachers going out from your company and they will reproduce this anointing across the earth. Your young people will freely join you, as in the ones we already have, will freely join you, freely join you at the break of dawn, as in ready as soon as the sun rises, with the vigor of youth, resplendent in holy armor on the day of your conquest. And that's from Psalm 110, verse 3. I don't know which version it is. One of the things I've been asking God is, why us? Why us? Why us? And here's his response. For the last 15 years, through thick and thin, you have lived out Genesis 26, 18. Like Isaac, you dug again the wells which were dug in the days of your father Abraham and had been clogged up by the Philistines after Abraham's death. And you have renamed them using the original names of your father that the father had given. Go to, uh, it's a beautiful scripture. I mean, such an odd reason why he, why us. Go to Genesis 26, verse 17 and 18. Genesis 26, verse 17. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. And the sense that I had was God saying, listen, you've 
doesn't matter whether you were small or whether you were big. Doesn't matter whether you had plenty or you had little. Doesn't matter whether miracles were happening or not happening. The one thing that you guys kept doing is you kept going back to the blueprint, renaming things as I named them, digging up the ancient paths of the spirit, not getting caught up in trends, not getting caught up in the latest whatever. That you kept going back like Isaac and digging up the wells that your fathers had dug for you, but the Philistines had stopped. And you went and dug them up again. And you renamed them not what you wanted to rename them. You renamed them not what the world wanted you to rename them. You renamed them exactly what your father Abraham had renamed them. Why us? That was one of the reasons. That was one of the reasons. That you've kept coming back to the blueprint. Renaming things as I named them. Digging up the ancient paths of the spirit. I, I see now how much sense it made to have Elijah's from the past help launch us into the Elisha year that we are stepping into when we asked Eddie and Mike and Chad and uh, Roland to come and just pray over the church as it enters 2021. The other reason was such a strange, beautiful one. Uh, uh, God was saying, your young people are free. Your young people are free. They have learned to run after the things of the kingdom because they trust my goodness to take care of the things of life. <laughs> Your young people are free and they have learned to run after the things of the kingdom because they trust my goodness to take care of the things of life. I wish someone had taught us older ones that really early. I wish I had learned it ages ago where you'd never have to worry about the cares of life because it, and how, how it frees you to pursue the things of the kingdom. Why us? Those were two reasons. I love the first reason. The second reason I kind of knew. The first reason is beautiful. That for the last 15 years through thick and thin, you all have lived out Genesis 26, 18. Isaac dug again the wells which were dug in the days of his father Abraham, but had been clogged up by the Philistines after Abraham's death. And he renamed them using the original names his father had given him. So what will this look like? What are some of the patterns that we can expect. What will, what will this look like? And what are some of the patterns we can expect? I felt God saying, go look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. And Habakkuk makes a statement in chapter 3, verse 2, saying, Oh God, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day and in our time, make them known. Oh God, I've heard of your deeds. I, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. And I felt the Lord saying uh, that one of the things you have to do is look at some of the parallels in the uh, revival that happened in the Hebrides Islands uh, off the coast of Scotland in 1949. 
where the old and the young participated. When I say that this revival will happen amongst the young, I do not mean that we who are older will not get a part to play in it. I mean, this picture that's up on the screen, uh, those were two sisters on, in this little town of Lewis on uh, uh, the island of, uh, in the Hebrides Islands. Uh, one was 82, one was 84. Uh, their names were Peggy and Christine. One of them was blind, the other one had stenosis. But one of the things that they would do is that these two old women would pray. And at that time in November 1949, there was not a single young person who attended public worship. Not a single young man or woman who went to church on that island. And they began to pray and one of the sisters had a vision. She saw the church of her fathers crowded with young people. And the guy in the middle is a guy called Duncan Campbell who was instrumental in that revival and who had no intention of coming and joining the revival. But these women saw him in a vision and sent word. He refused first and they sent word again and God changed his plans and he turned up. Even today, there are some that remain from that revival in 1949 because there were some young people that got saved then that were interviewed just a few years ago. And every time you came to this place where you asked them, tell us what happened, there would be this odd silence in the room because there were not enough words to express what God did. What will it look like when we begin to see that? It's not the sight of it that attracts me. It is what it can do to the world. Isn't this what you live for? Isn't this why you, why you wake up every day? Everything God does has the old and the young guys. You look at Acts chapter 2 verse 17 or Joel 2. It says your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. You see the birth of Christ. And John the Baptist, you have Zechariah and Elizabeth, very old, old, so old that they can't have children. And then you got Joseph and Mary. It's never one or the other. It just so happens that the target in this case are the ones that are younger, the ones that are below 50, especially the teenagers, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, so that everything can be steered back on course. Quietly. There was Anna and Simeon. I pray God that over this next week and the weeks following that this church, not because of deliberate intentional times of prayer, but because of the spirit of prayer that I pray the Holy Spirit will cause to wash over us, that we will begin to just call each other in groups of twos and threes, not what you may have been doing, but things that are spontaneously crafted by God, that you will go for walks and you will begin to pray into this promise and this word that God has given, saying, oh God, I've heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds, renew them. In our time, make them known, O oh God, not for our sake, Father, but for the sake of the earth and what you want to do. It's on in Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7. God actually invites us, saying, Hey, 
Give me no rest till I establish what I have said. Give me no rest. I'm posting you as watchmen so that you can begin your work and that you will give yourself no rest. That's the first statement in Isaiah 62 verse 6. But in Isaiah 62 verse 7 he says, But listen, I don't want you to give me rest. Harass me. Don't give me rest. Even in this revival in Hebrides, the church began to meet in a barn and they began to claim the promise that was given to them. In their case, the promise was from Isaiah 44 verse 3, which said, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and I will cause floods upon the dry ground. Pour water on him that is thirsty, pour floods upon the dry ground and they would begin to take that promise and pray. Guys, remember what I said last week. This is not something that we are initiating. This is not our <laughs> this is not our responsibility. The odd thing with revivals, guys, is that you cannot produce it, but you can quench it or opt out of it. You cannot produce it, but you can quench it or opt out of it. And the thing is, if it is quenched and you opt out, God will go around you. Because he is going to do it. One night a deacon in the church in this little island of Lewis, Isle of Lewis, a deacon in the church got up and he began to read Psalm 24. I've been listening to Psalm 24, I don't know how many times. But he begins to read Psalm 24. And at some point, the psalm says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And he lifts up both his hands and he says, Oh God, are these hands clean and is this heart pure? And something breaks in the meeting. Are my hands clean, is my heart pure? And that is the conviction that I pray we will have. Eh? That will grip us today after I finish teaching. And will spend some time over one or two things that we can start praying and then we'll go every day. And what happened then, 72 years ago, had never happened for the last 100 years. This cannot happen without the acknowledgement of an awesome God and without an acknowledgement of holy presence. I go back to what this beautiful, what this bottle says. Pure life begins now. Pure life begins now. Blazing purity. Pure life begins now. And remember our method of operation, eh? What is the promise? What is the promise? Oh God, if this is your promise, this is what I'm going to take. These are the arrows that I'm going to strike the ground with. This is what I will use like these two old women who were 82 and 84 used. And we begin to strike the ground. We begin to say, you said. We begin to challenge God saying, oh God, you said. I challenge you, oh God, 
that because you said you must do. And you can demand like um, Derek was saying when we began, you can have all of us, all of us, all of us, all of my life you can have. I'm giving it to you, oh God, it rightfully belongs to you. What I'm doing is just my reasonable sacrifice. I'd so suggest to you guys that if possible, adjust your schedules because preparing for revival is best engaged live. Preparing for revival is best engaged live. As in, um, it's not a pre-recorded event. So to the extent possible, um, free yourself up because uh, this is not something you can pre-order or experience by scheduling an appointment. <laughs> So I realize some of us are working, some of us are working night shifts, some of us are coming off long days and I realize that. But to the extent possible, may you be able to sh adjust, shift, prioritize. Uh, uh, maybe the word prioritize puts guilt on you. So let's say adjust, shift, so that you can partake of the 45 minutes or the 7 hours. I got no idea. I don't know which one uh, to choose either. because I've got no idea. I've never done this before. Go listen to Disruptive Glory. I had no idea I'd be talking about this this week. These things have been brewing, but I didn't know we'd get here so fast. The next seven days... Not seven continuous days. We'll be skipping Wednesday, Saturday. Try to tune in 7.15 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Monday. We'll have Zoom and I'll send you the link. We can't meet here. And cultivate an awareness, eh? Cultivate an awareness and an internal appetite. Cultivate an awareness and an internal appetite. Cultivate an awareness and an internal appetite. And one of the ways you cultivate an awareness and an internal appetite is by swearing off junk food. One of the things that I heard um, Derek uh, advise somebody was, hey, why not let your phone be for the last hour and a half of the day? Put it aside. You don't need to grab the phone. You don't need to have a last look at Facebook. Put your phone aside. Learn how to sleep in the frequencies of God. Sometimes cultivating an awareness and uh, developing an internal appetite for His presence is so darn simple, you would think, surely it must be more profound. No. I know that there are uh, people here that are praying. I know young adults here that have decided that for 40 days they're going to spend time pursuing God. I love this. I love this. I can see why God is setting us up. I also want to lay down this idea that Acts 29 is anything. That's one of the things I certainly want to do today. Saying, oh God, we devolve this thing called Acts 29. We do not even do this under that banner. God can't care to who would say this, this, this move in, um, can you put the prophetic word back, guys? This move in the Hebrides Islands 
happened with the Presbyterian Church. It always happens with Nazareth. One of the things we'll have to lay down is any definition that we are proud of. This cannot happen through an individual. It cannot happen through a group of leaders. It happens through a people and it happens sheerly by God. We can quench it. We can opt out of it. We cannot produce it. Let me end. Guys, presence requires intimacy. Presence requires intimacy. This is not new for you, but I just need to reiterate it during a time like this. Presence requires intimacy. Intimacy requires time. And I realize some of us will not be able to participate a live stream online. Don't worry about it. Don't feel guilty. Find time. Set it aside. God will meet you, man. God will meet you as you cultivate an appetite and an awareness. God will meet you. Doesn't matter if it's two hours later or four hours or a day later. But be very deliberate about this. Intimacy requires time. And missed intimacy births things of the flesh. According to John 3, 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. Missed intimacy births things of the flesh and makes you irrelevant. And I don't want to become irrelevant in a time when God is moving with intentional relevance. I don't want to, as a pastor, be able to teach this and then miss out on intimacy because I do not prioritize my time and therefore birth things of the flesh. Oh, that would be so sad. That would be so sad. I don't want to be held accountable for that. I'm just talking about me right now, eh? Because I have a responsibility in this. So during this week, and I, I pray God this, that this week be so um, life-shaping for all of us that uh, it will affect the rest of our lives. But during this week, let's not sacrifice seeking him for more immediate priorities. Let us not sacrifice seeking him for more immediate priorities. Because we have priorities, and they are immediate, and they are calling out to us. But this week, let's not sacrifice seeking him for more immediate priorities. And every time you feel guilt, know that it is not of God. God brings wisdom into the situation, not guilt. God doesn't change our priorities using guilt. God changes our priorities using wisdom. And favor. He gives great favor and wisdom when it comes to priorities that need to be shifted. In Songs chapter 5, verse 2 to 7, and I've often referred to this in the past, in Songs chapter 5, verse 2 to 7, you find that there is this woman and she hears a knock on the door and it's her lover. And there is no question of her love for him. 
It's just that he has come at an unexpected hour. She loves him, but he's turned up at an unexpected hour. She's put on her robe, she's in bed, and should she really, at this unexpected hour, when she should be sleeping, should she go open the door? And so his presence was not repelled by rejection, but by hesitation or distraction with lesser things. In her hesitation, in her being distracted, he goes away. And the streets will not recognize our royal connection if we don't carry his aroma. The streets will not recognize his royal, our royal connection to him if we don't carry his aroma, which is why I'm saying, try and see if this can be a time where our lives are shaped. I've been telling God, oh Father, please, let me not fall into the trap of having taught this and then not being able to engage it wholeheartedly. That'll be so easy. In every revival that God has brought on earth, prayer was and is always the starting point. Whether many of you, a united desperate cry that agrees with God will watch heaven take over. A united desperate cry that agrees with God will watch heaven take over. A united desperate cry that agrees with God will watch heaven take over. This is not the kind of praying that uh, we hear of tarrying. Some nights you will wait on him. Some nights you won't. But what is important is that in my heart, in my somewhere deep inside me, uh, where, where, where rivers run, there I must begin to develop a united desperate cry with anybody else. And if I do, and if we agree with God, we will watch heaven take over. And this teaching, I'm not teaching this just to Acts 29. I'm teaching this to anybody who we walk with, who we are connected with. Which is why it's so critical that I lay down the Acts 29 label on, on behalf of the people of Acts 29. I lay down the Acts 29 label. We will have no confidence in our name or our past or our strengths before. We have absolutely no confidence in it. You put your confidence in what a church may have accomplished, it becomes flesh and it becomes an idol. We have no confidence in the money we have. We have no confidence in our young adults. They are flesh and blood. We have no confidence in our pastor. We have no confidence in our teaching. We have no confidence in what Acts 29 has accomplished. We have no confidence in our mission work. We have no confidence in the different places that we may have gone to. We have absolutely no confidence in it. We refuse to be self-sufficient. We refuse to be self-sufficient. We have nothing. We don't even have a name anymore. I lay down that label. For we are going by a way we have not gone before. Joshua chapter 3 verse 4 and 5. I'm taking you by a way you have not gone before. And yet, verse 5 actually says, Joshua chapter 3 verse 4 and 5. Yeah, 
Do not come near in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That's my hope, eh? That's my hope. Is everything okay, Don? Good? It's 3.35. Let's just ask God what we need to do on this first day of the seven. At some point, I'm going to ask Joan to pray. Joan's mum comes from Inverness. I just felt that because God said there are similarities to this as happened in the Hebrides Island, I just thought I'll ask Joan at some point to pray over Zoom. Uh, but other than that, I've got nothing else, so let's see where we should go. And then I know we'll sing that song where it says, I see the I see a I see a generation. We'll I see the King of Glory. We'll sing that at the end. Guys, I really don't know how to go about this, eh? So just be patient. So I'm going to ask, uh, yeah, let's just... Father... We just want to empty ourselves. Just want to empty ourselves. We just want to empty ourselves. Empty ourselves of all self-sufficiency. Empty ourselves of any name, any claim, any fame that we operate under. Empty ourselves of that which is not blazingly pure. I think that's what we'd like to do today. And at some point raise our arms to you and say, is this heart pure and are these hands clean? That's where we want to start today. We want to operate only under one name. The King of Glory, strong and mighty in battle, to whom the whole earth belongs, and who established the heavens and the earth and founded them. 
We want to ascend your holy hill today. We want to start there. So Father, 